into a very chaotic episode of the Winging It F1 podcast with myself, Adam Dickinson, Adam Freddie Coates and Nigel Chuhar, both stuck in a snowstorm in Sheffield and <laughs> I'm in Oklahoma having just got back from Thanksgiving. So this is going to be an interesting episode. It's a kind of intra-race podcast where we're taking a bit of a pause before Saudi Arabia next week to look at some of the news and some of the yeah, looking back on some of the previous championship battles that we have had in our sport of F1, because it is our sport, because, you know, it's it belongs to the customers as much as it does the stakeholders, and we are customers and podcasters. So, having said all of that, <laughs> Freddie, how are you? Oh, well, you did a great intro there at saying how chaotic it was. There's a distinct reason why we're recording this 40 minutes later than scheduled. Um, and that's because Nigel broke his laptop and then me and him nearly ended up trekking across Sheffield in the worst snow I've seen since I was in the Alps um, to try and go to PC World, eventually giving up after doing what would be a, fi- a 10 minute walk. We did it in a car in 15 minutes, um, which I think says a lot about the chaos here. Um, eventually, we've got things sorted. And, but yeah, um, yeah. I'm doing all right, actually. I'm happy to be warm again. Yeah, I'm not. I'm probably going to be 100 quid out of pocket uh, in a few days, at least. Uh, yeah, my own ball. I should, I'm never, ever going to hoover again, because that's the only reason I broke, broke because I was doing the hoovering, which I haven't done for a while. Uh, no, I'm not in the living room anyway. Yeah, uh, don't then, yeah. don't hoover your laptops. That's a yeah. bad move. Yeah, that's not why. Top tip. Yeah, so yeah, I was hoovering over my laptop and the screen came out. That's why. That's what happened. Yeah, so don't do that. If listeners take one thing out of this episode, it's don't hoover your own laptop. Or anyone else. Me, he brought it up to me. He's like, my laptop's broken. It's not working. I can't see anything on the screen. Didn't even realise the screen had popped out from like yeah. the laptop. I'm like, oh, well, the screen's come out. And I wonder, you broke the mechanism is going to be completely snapped behind. He's like, oh, the screen's come out. Can we squish it back in? Um, which was a fun attempt. We both did try squeezing the screen back into a computer frame i guess you'd call it and there was just crunching and it was sad oh well that's sad as much a rage <laughs> but he's still got his his thing that he needs to hand in for tomorrow handed in so that's good yeah he'll be handed in by now better get a good mark <laughs> Freddie <laughs> yeah. better get a good mark as well that's more important actually give freddie a good mark oh very kind but i didn't know how to help so i decided to get in my car with him and drive in the snow <laughs> It's a stupid idea. Still waiting for the podcast. That's amazing. See, we'll, we'll do anything for our, our listeners and viewers. We'll, 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 we don't care if we break our laptops. We'll still record. Yes, we are. I mean, I ran off my phone for the first six months, over six yeah, months of the podcast. I'm six minutes in and I'm struggling. <laughs> yeah, that's unsurprising. You know, so much. <laughs> what? Yeah. Adapt to the others. But yeah, we are not struggling through because we have a lot to talk about and we are enjoying this, but we are getting through the podcast for the viewers and for our love of F1. So um, to start with, kind of taking it down to a uh, more somber note, then it was announced that uh, a couple of hours ago that Frank Williams, Sir Frank Williams, the um, founder of Williams and long-serving team principal of Williams has passed away and obviously a man that left his mark on so many drives and so many people in the sport and the sport as a whole built a very successful team through the 80s and 90s and into the noughties and stayed at the helm you know way way beyond that to despite being a life-altering crash so freddie or nigel do either of you just want to share your thoughts on kind of how you i guess reacted to to his passing I think, well, very, very sad. Uh, you know, he hasn't been part of the sport as he was for a few years now, but in Williams' name, he is the one who ultimately made it for now 40 or 40 odd years, isn't it, since Williams, since Williams joined, joined, joined F1. And he is just one of those icons of F1, people like him, Ron Dennis, you know, those kind of people. There's not many people like that in F1 who they they've given so much as a sport whether it's drivers 
battles, uh, everything that happens off the track. And I think just being that independent team, Williams, it's not Ferrari, it's not McLaren, it's not Mercedes. It is just uh, it, it's special what, what he did, what he built up, the drivers who drove for the team as well. So, yeah, a very, very sad day for F1. He'll be, he'll be very much missed. And there won't be many people like him ever again, I don't think, with the way it's going, was building up an independent team from from scratch is, is very, very difficult. So for him to have the success that he had, even when it was passed on, you know, the Williams still had still had a couple of years at the front. Uh yeah, I think he's a very special person to, to that that F one has had. Yeah, he's been he's been a part of Formula One for the best part of sixty years, really. Frank Williams racing was started when he was about twenty five or something. And that was his first entity, and he was partnered with people through the late 60s and 70s before in 1977, him and Patrick Head officially set up Williams Racing, Sir Patrick Head as well. And that he's gone on. He's the most successful team principal in the sport's history. He um, is just, when people describe, when people die in motorsport, people go, oh, he's a proper racer. But so I think Frank, so Frank really embodies that. He just de- dedicated himself entirely. Well, I, I want to go race, so here he is. And all through his life, um, we're here, what, a year and a bit after Williams officially was sold to Darlton Capital and left, he basically left as team principal of that team only a, a year and three months ago or so. And he's just fantastic. He's absolutely fantastic. Williams was my team, really, when I was sort of properly getting started as a F1 nerd. I mean, I love Ferrari and everyone loves Ferrari and that kind of thing. But like Williams was like, I don't know, I don't have a football team. I sort of sort of was close closest to a team would be Williams. So it's yeah, it's a real a real sting that because he's an absolute excellent gent, basically. He's an icon. Yeah, and I think like like Nigel said, we won't we won't see, you know, many, many more of him on the grid. You know, there's kind of, there's not another Frank coming through and, you know, there's so many reasons for that, but he, you know, he, he really, the, the success that he was able to have was, was phenomenal. And it was all kind of built, built from within and just built through, you know, really, really hard work and, and talented people. And he was kind of at the head of that. And even after his accident, you could see, I mean, when he when he drove with uh, Lewis Hamilton at Silverstone as a as a passenger, and you could see the joy a few years ago that that still still brought to him. And yeah, he's you know he we all know he's a legend, and he kind of gave everything everything he could to the to the sport, and that's that's all you can do. And yeah, it's it's a sad moment because you know everyone at Williams will be affected by this because they all they'll knew him and you know now as as we've said there's not kind of there's not more Frank Williams coming through so yeah as a moment for the sport whether you've got anything to add on to that I, I think that there's obviously everyone who's been part of F1 has given something to the sport but if you think about how much Frank Williams has given to the sport himself it, it's absolutely monumental I think there's probably only probably seven or eight people who, who've done more uh, for F1 uh, and so that just says how special he is and if you think about the amount of independent teams that come and gone so quickly uh, yeah he's, he was able to keep the Williams name him and Claire Williams for a good 40 years or so uh, it's quite incredible really so yeah uh, yeah just just yeah it'll be it'll be a difficult time for, for the Williams team uh, but I think I think everything that Frank Williams has done, uh, it's that that's you know, something that should be celebrated. I think over the next few days or so. Yeah, entirely, entirely, and um, we're going to see a lot more on timelines. There's going to be people who knew him writing about him and telling us all about why he's fantastic. Just giving us all the oh, just, just yeah, go and read an obituary on Frank Williams, and that's just. You'll you'll know that that man is something else. Just yeah, and I think yeah, 
just yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay um he's he's just got sort of a, an aura and one of those people i mean it was similar when murray walker passed away at the start of the season that it's kind of just just a someone so just loved and respected and is a giant of of motorsport and he was at the top of it for so long that he and he, he deserved to sit on the on the top of that pyramid he yeah formula one was frank williams is um really for, for a good 10 20 years like you said the the williams the williams name and it is the only the only team that is truly a, a name kind of you know ferrari and mclaren are brands and car brands and you've got you've still just got williams there on on the grid still you know carrying that williams name forward and you know it's obviously not the same team now as it used to used to be but it is still you know got that you know status as as the williams name and seeing that go forward will, you know, I'm, I'm sure they will be back and that will kind of be with, with Frank's memory with them. So, yeah, a, a sad day for, for all of F1, really. But, yeah. So, moving on from that sombre topic to someone who's just starting their F1 career, or will still, will be just starting their F1 career next season, is Grand Yu Zhou, who was given a seat a few weeks ago, but we didn't really talk about it because we were still in the process of talking about races and the mad triple header that we've just come off the back of. But it is Grand Ujo. He's starting at Alfa Romeo, partnering Valtteri Bottas. It's a kind of season of unknown for a lot of things. And, you know, I, I think I think it's, a, it's, it's quite an interesting partnership at Alfa Romeo, but what... Do you, what do you both think of the, the decision to give Joe the seat? I think... I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's the right choice or the wrong choice. I think... I think he's a good driver. Is he good enough for F1? Yeah, you're probably a solid midfield driver, but I think everyone's problem is, is that there are better options out there. Uh... Well, I think what I'll say is it's not the first time uh, when a team has gone for a driver who wasn't the best option. You know, just go back a couple of years when uh, Latifi got onto the F1 grid, but Nick DeVries didn't, even though Nick DeVries won the F2 championship, and Nick DeVries still hasn't had his chance. You know, so, and that was only two years ago. There's numerous examples. You know, these, these types of things come up every two or, two or three years. So... Joe, he deserves his chance, and when he when he joined the after grid, I was very, very, very impressed. Uh, I thought it was the real deal. It's just the last eighteen months or so he hasn't really formed since he got that uh, pole position last year in Austria, yeah. uh, and then I think he was leading the race and his car failed or something like that. So who knows what who knows what would have happened if his car didn't fail? Maybe he would have got some more confidence, momentum. But since then, he hasn't really done that much. And uh, I think that is why we can't really get too excited about it because I don't think he is going to be a world champion. I don't think he's going to be a race winner, and that's what we want to, want to see with these new young drivers. But equally, I don't think he's he's as bad as some people make out. I think he'll do a solid job. Uh, we will have a difficult time against Bottas next year, I think. Yeah, I'm kind of going to echo all of that. Um, he's a good driver. He's a handy pair of hands. Um, but he his peaks promise so much, but is let down by the consistency of his troughs. And um, that's kind of the, the, the shame with Guan Yu Zhou, because sometimes, yeah, I was going to refer to the Austria pole position as well. He was on pole by four tenths in a spec series. And around a track that's got such a short lap time and it's full throttle for so much of it, that's demon stuff. But it wasn't able; he wasn't able to deliver following that. And he, he, yeah, he was by far and away the best rookie when he was a rookie in Formula Two. But he then finished in the exact same position in the championship the next year. I'm pretty sure. 
um, or maybe only a few places higher. So it's he's he's at a level, and that level is okay. But sometimes a Formula One can work wonders for these kind of drivers, and you get some drivers who get into Formula One and are then exceptional. Um, I don't think he's going to be exceptional, but I think he will be a decent Formula One driver, basically. That's what I think. But I do think there are there were there is spectacular drivers on the market who, for obvious reasons, such as the the, the significant amount of money that does come with Guan Yu Zhou that are going is going to prop up Alfa Romeo as a team. And to be honest, yeah, do that. <laughs> if they thought he was an awful driver like a no hoper and he wouldn't have enough wouldn't have a chance of racing in Formula One anyway. So yeah, I think I think I kind of echo that. It feels like his ceiling is being a decent midfield driver. And I don't know, I, I, ideally you want 20 drivers on the grid who you believe can become world champion. And I think if you look at the F2 grid at the moment, that's Oscar Piastri is kind of the you know the the headline driver in that category and Joe is second to him in the championship in his third year which is you know when you'd expect drivers to be challenging for for the title really you know he it should have been last year really yeah yeah you know he's if, if you're in your third year of F2 not challenging for the title you know something gone wrong really so you know I think I think it's it's quite I mean interesting team but I mean, yeah, it won't be the most interesting. But I think there'll, there'll be points of interest in how he stacks up against Bottas, and you know where where he can kind of fulfil his potential, and you know how how quickly he gets onto the car. And like you say, he's you know got a lot of money behind him. He's trying his first F1 driver, and it's just kind of where how how far up he can he can make it in the midfield, which I really think is his ceiling. But where that partnership of Bottas and Joe, where do you? Kind of think that that I'll rate. One thing okay. First. I think if you swap Piastri and Joe, say so, say Joe's leading the championship four races ago, two events ago. I don't think it matters how well he does, uh, because Piastri's there because he because Joe's in his third season. I think even if he was leading the championship, I think people would still see Piastri's kind of future star. So. In that sense, I, was, I do I would. feel a bit sorry for him in that sense because no matter what he does, he will get uh, not overlooked. He, he won't get the same attention as, or I guess, he won't be as attractive as Piastri. So in that sense, I do feel a little bit sorry for him. But, you know, he has got the seat. So, yeah, that's all I, I wanted to say. <laughs> and then sometimes, sometimes the rookie sensation is fantastic, but it's then only sometimes. I mean, I don't think that would be the case with Oscar Piastri because he's done what? Um, Euro Cup and then Formula 3, both champions. Then if he becomes Formula 2 champion as well, he doesn't take the step and he's kind of proving everything that's wrong with motorsport, But um, which he has basically done if he wins in F2. Yeah, look, at Sonoda, look at Sonoda. He, he was equally as impressive. But mm. He's been in F1 this year. He hasn't really performed. So. Gasly Giovinazzi is one that I always think of um, because Gasly was in yeah. like... Two and a half seasons of F2, GP2, became F2. And then he was in a tight championship fight with Antonio Giovinazzi, who was a rookie, who came in and was absolutely sensational in Formula 2 and took it to the final round, um, which was he, was, he was, but he was the hot shot then. Gasly was obviously a great driver, and Gasly was his, his rebel link sort of made him more sort of, you know, um, easy to think about as an F1 prospect, but Giovinazzi was the underdog, the rookie who had funding from basically just being friends with Sean Galeo. Um And then <coughs> got, was the was the amazing drive of F2, and then his career stilted because he um, basically couldn't get into F1, and his career then never really took off again. So that's the worry of this kind of thing. So so Joe could be like Gasly. Could be. No, no, I don't think it'll happen, but it could be, because yeah. Gasly... He went a ridiculous amount of races without winning. He went on this long streak. I can't remember how long it was. But it just he won at Silverstone and then won the championship. Yeah, I think there's a period before that, though, where he didn't. Yeah, there was about a season and a half of F2 yeah, GP2. Like but then, yeah. so, 
so he wasn't really seen as that good. But now, people, you know, top five driver on the, on the grid, arguably. So it shows how quickly these things can change. That was yeah, a nice and, ramble. Yeah, I mean, I think going back, going back to what you said, Nigel, I don't, I don't feel too sorry for Joe just because kind of going into F2 and especially after the first season in F2 he kind of had it all in his in his power you know it's not kind of and I guess you know the the Austria um, failure was unfortunate but beyond that you know he's had it in his power to do what Piastri did really and he just hasn't and I think you know it, it's like you said it kind of shows everything that's that's wrong with with motor racing at the moment and you know at the end of the day he's he's getting his drive but i think you know that's, that is a good point that he could you know he can surprise us i just yeah i think it's i think it's a shame that we're not maybe seeing the best 20 drives that we want to see on the grid and i know you'll feel that as well but yeah. where yes. do you kind of see that that partnership of bottas and joe ranking in in strength in the 2022 grid Definitely better than the lineup. Well, actually, I think it is. Than the lineup they've got now. I'm not sure. Hugely. Uh, it, it all depends on Joe, I think. Because Bottas, I think he'll be very good at one lap, but then in a race, he might not be great. So I think it depends how good Joe is. Uh, so, just thinking quickly, it's probably. Seventh or eighth best lineup on the grid next year. That's what, that's where I am. That's what I'm thinking. Better than Williams. Better than Haas. Similar maybe yeah. to Alpha Tauri because we have faith in Gasly but no faith in Sonoda. That's Similar my kind of Aston thing on Martin, it. Yeah, actually that's a yeah. point. I think it's better than Aston Martin. Uh, yeah, I'd say it's better than Aston Martin. So I'll probably say seventh. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to agree with that. I think it's about. I think it's about where Aston Martin is. I'd actually, I'd maybe say Aston Martin's a bit better. Um, yeah, fair enough. We've got more proof of the peaks for them. Yes, definitely. And I th- but I think with with Afro Mo, it's quite, it, it's kind of what what are you getting from both of them? Because you can get kind of Joe surprising us all and you know excelling in his rookie season, or you can get him kind of at Latifi level of not you know not really making an impact and then on the flip side you can have Bottas where he's kind of reborn in in the midfield and is able to translate the one lap pace into racing in the mid in you know at, probably at the back of the midfield but or you can get it where or he you know he's he's like he has been this season where he's not really able to make progress in the races so I think there's there's quite the distance between the ceiling and the floor I think is quite high for for this team so it we yeah it, it's not going to be grabbing many headlines next season unless they you know come out with a oh, stonking car but it really could i think it goes back to the new rules it it could go anyway yeah like Bottas could if Bottas got by six or something like Giovinazzi i think he got by seven didn't he done for or something like that yeah it's just amazing like that i think it's yeah. definitely possible for both drivers i'd say for joe and Bottas, they could uh, or target those huge big performances and then that can translate into points. Uh, and I think that's where they've been lacking particularly in the last few years because Raikkonen isn't the best of one match, probably one of the worst. But then his race face is excellent. So you can start, and then Gymnasium is the opposite. His yeah. one-map pace is quite good. And then his race face is atrocious. So if it's about trying to combine Raikkonen and Gymnasium's strengths for one of these drivers and whether Bottas can do that, I'm not sure. Then Joe is obviously a rookie, so it'll take time for him to, to learn. So I think you're the, right. The, There's a lot of a lot of factors for, for next year's lineup. Yeah, I started this by saying that Joe was a guy, a driver whose peaks promised so much, but he never really was able to, to match them. That's similar to Bottas, really, and they both have the same kind of traits in that regard, where they they could could be so could be so much coming for it could be some great performance, and then it falls flat when it matters and stuff like that and if the if the peaks that are promised come true yeah that makes sense um if the peaks that are promised come true then it would be great but it has always got the potential to be dour and appalling it's what adam said 
very big gap, but very high ceilings, but very deep floors. It's like a church. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> a perfect analogy to finish off that. And just um, just finally, a kind of word on Giovinazzi, who's losing his seat and looks like his F1 career is over. Yeah, shortly he, after, shortly after <laughs> it was announced that he was losing his seat, he tweeted, um, when, when money rules in F1, it can be ruthless. I mean, personally, I, I think it's less money and just that he's not wowed in his in his years in the seat. I, I don't know. It, it's a kind of... I don't think there's much to say on Giovinazzi. He's, he's, he's not had, performed. He's not performed. Yeah. He's not performed. He's promised a lot with his performances, like Nigel, you alluded to his Zambia qualifying and then also his Monza qualifying um, the week after. He was on a fantastic run when he needed to then. And he, it was a similar position in 2019. He grew and grew and grew and grew and then was leading that team for the second half of the season. And if he had sort of continued that, it would have been great, but he didn't. It, it, the form was always there to grab, but it was never quite achieved, which is the sad thing about it because he's a driver who could have been, I think, he could have been a really, really good driver. He could have been a Gasly level, in my opinion, but he's he's let, he's not picked himself up in the right way and not, a, I don't know, just not, not really worked out for him. Hopefully Formula E worked because... Um, I like him, so I want him to do well. Yeah, you know, he's he's a he's a largely liked and likable driver, but that only goes so far. And I think, yeah, like yeah, exactly. everyone who leaves leaves F one. Well, we always say, oh, such a nice driver is left off. Yeah, a lot of them deserve to get to <laughs> F one and stuff like that. And Giovinazzi did deserve to get to F one. He's he's done. He's got a three year three years in F one and two extra races in twenty seventeen. He's got a good decent stint out of it for someone who's not really achieved what he should have been achieving but he should have been doing better that's the sad thing about it for me because yeah, he can do better it, it doesn't it's you know there's not i don't know there's there's not kind of many maybe he's maybe a there are he's a caveat yeah yeah he is except i don't think with it to the same level and yeah that's <laughs> yeah we don't we we don't need to Kind of yeah, go on too long about Giovinazzi, but I think yeah, it's, he 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 got his opportunity and he didn't take it, you know, which is a shame. And like you said, hopefully, Formula E works out. But there's not, you know, I think it's money ruling. I think it's a, a lack of performance ruling in this particular situation. Nigel, have you got anything to add or dump on Giovinazzi? I think the only thing I'll say is, even if he left last year or or even 2019, I wouldn't have been that much against it. No. Uh, so yeah. and, you know he should be able to at least match a 41, 42 year old Raikkonen who's well past his best. He hasn't been able to um, pass the ball. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But there is half of that Alfa Romeo lineup for next season that will have some part in the title decider this year with Alfa Romeo still at Mercedes, and it will be a question, especially in Saudi Arabia, especially post races kind of how he stacks up against Perez and how both of them can impact the title fight. But we're not talking about that title fight for now. We're talking about title fights across the whole history of F1 and thinking about some of our favourites because there's not been that many in the last few years. The last one that came down to the wire was 2016 where Nico Rosberg triumphed, which was five years ago yesterday. Um, and yeah, so... Have either of you want to submit your favourite title fight? I don't know if it's one that you remember or from history before we were alive, which for Freddie would be quite difficult, but... What a joker! He's so funny, guys. He's such a hilarious boy. Um, seeing as I'm speaking, I shall go first. And I'm going to speak about my favourite title decider, which was... 1953... Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, 1953. I was there at the race. <laughs> the 1997 European Grand Prix in Jerez, famous for coming down to the wire, a fight between Jacques Villeneuve and Michael Schumacher. Um, one driver who I'm a massive fan of, and one who I probably would have been a fan of if I was watching it live, um, due to the situation. Um, but yeah, this is the really famous finale race. Um, held in Jerez in Spain, the last race Formula One has had in Jerez, where Michael Schumacher just 
deliberately turned in on Jacques Villeneuve, tried to crash him off so he would win the title because he had one point more as they went into this race and just completely ballsed it up. And it was hilarious. It's the worst bit of driving I've ever seen. And um, he, he was disqualified from the entire championship and, and wasn't allowed to be second in the championship. Um, and it was madness. And it's insane. And I absolutely love it. Um, I've watched this race tons. And it started off in a fantastic way because qualifying is the most famous qualifying session in the history of the sport. You've got the two title protagonists never stood on a podium all year together. And yet wow. they're within one point of each other. Michael Schumacher leading Jacques Villeneuve. Um, qualifying and they go for it. And Michael Schumacher, Jacques Villeneuve and Jacques Villeneuve's teammate Heinz Hauer-Frenten all set the exact same qualifying time. You could not believe it. It was ridiculous. No one knew what was going on. Someone somewhere. So it, Formula One has always done to three decimal points. 121.072 by Jacques Villeneuve said it first, then Schumacher set it, then Frenton set it, also at the same time. Then out of nowhere, Damon Hill was 0.058 behind it. And he was in an arrows in the first race of that year. That qualified last. And he qualified fourth. It was mega. It's just such a ridiculous season for Formula One. But anyway, um, someone somewhere has the fourth decimal point. Um, and they know who's fastest, but I don't think they've ever revealed it. Uh, it's not me, no. If it's anyone. Uh, no. <laughs> oh, well. But yeah, basically, this race is just mad and I love it. Yeah, it is absolutely incredible. Uh, Martin Bundle's country. You hit the wrong part, Michael, or something like that. And then there was a bit after. You hit the wrong part of him, my friend. There you go, that was it, my friend, that was it. And then McLaren, Williams kind of helped each other and stuff. So they yeah. ended up third because he let McLaren through some kind of uh, agreement uh, yeah. and stuff like that so it was just a crazy, crazy race uh, and you know, they've won his one and only title because of it and it was a winner takes all as well which could happen this year so and that innocent, that type of, it, of incident could happen this year as well so there's many relatable things uh, it was, you know, 14, 14 24 years old even. It was team play of huge proportions you had ferrari were telling sauber cars to block villeneuve when they were lapping him yes um famously um oh what's he called um i think it's norberto fontana driving for sauber was told that if you don't do this you won't get a drive next year and if you help this and this will happen and john todd apparently went into the sauber motorhome and told him that before the race he didn't get the job next year anyway though but anyway um he thought, I have to do this to save my Formula 1 career. I have to block Jack Villeneuve, which he did very deliberately. Um, Ron Dennis was apparently skulking around the back of the Williams garage. He made this agreement with Frank Williams before the race, saying um, if Schumacher goes off, because basically everyone was talking about Schumacher attacking and that kind of thing. If it's in control, can we'll take the win and that kind of thing. And apparently Frank had agreed to that. And Patrick Head was apoplectic that that happened. And Gerhard Berger was a tenth off the podium. And Jack Villeneuve said afterwards, if I'd known I would have been fine to finish fourth, I'd have let Gerhard on the podium because it was his last ever race. And it's just ridiculous. And the top six cars, which is all the points, are within five seconds of each other. And that's Mika Hakkinen, DC, David Coulthard, Jack Villeneuve, Gerhard Berger, Eddie Irvine and Frentzen. And then Livia Panis is a minute back. And it's just like, what the hell? What the hell? Ah! Imagine if that happened in the final race this year. It'd be ridiculous. What the hell? Ah! That seems to be me. I'd have and, to delete social media and worry quite close to, to deleting it. <laughs> so, this race is 24 years ago and I'm already I'm still having heart attacks over it. I wasn't even alive. I had a heart oh. attack three years before I was born. It was insane. <laughs> like it bends <laughs> physics and biology and everything in, in equal measure. Yeah. I think there's a there's a fantastic um video on F1's YouTube that's 20 years on. Um, talking to Villeneuve and all of the major plays really, really in that. And the fact that Villeneuve got a guard of honour coming down the pit lane after the race with every team, I mean, except Ferrari, I imagine, coming out and applauding him as he came down down the pit lane to take the podium. Like you say, yeah, it's kind of all, all of these 
subplots and like relationships within teams and between teams and between drivers just kind of all came to the boil then and also the the precedent of or the the decision to ban Schumacher from the championship or disqualify him from the championship and whether that sets a precedent for anything that might or might not happen this year which we'll have to wait and after hearing in Slough they had a hearing in Slough for some reason (laughs) well Uh, where else is you know Paris and think of but they have all the hearings there's a there's a great part of it in fact so Heinz Howard Frenston was a, playing a really good number two role and he had backed up Michael Schumacher into Villeneuve Villeneuve to catch up and so on and then I don't know somehow how he ended up behind the two of them I can't remember presumably a pit stop and then he caught up again um, but you had Michael Villeneuve going to attack and Villeneuve gets up the inside well up the inside good move really from Villeneuve he went from quite far back and managed to do it and then turned in and Frenston had saw it directly and he was pitting that lap I think and or they thought we'll take the opportunity to pit and his radio his team radio was oh my god he did it did you see him he hit Jack he's done it the thing they said was going to happen happened oh my god it's happened oh my god he was just just basically going look at that look at that look at that and they're like you've got a pit you've got a pit and he's like he hit him he hit him and then he forgot to like set like his brake balance or whatever for the pits and then overshot his marks and like broke a wheel gun <laughs> or something and no he ended up in the wrong garage yes um, that's it yeah and then broke drove just straight forwards didn't pull it back into the fast lane just drove through like four garages apparently broke the ferrari's wheel guns <laughs> um, and then ended up in the williams pit and it's like oh my god everything went to went to chaos it was fantastic anyway yes watch the 1997 european grand prix and rejoice my nomination <laughs> <you're with> <laughs> yes i don't know how i can follow up that but i'm gonna try with the 2012 <laughs> Brazilian Grand Prix. Uh, I think what it is, is that whole season for me, more than that particular race, seven different winners, first seven races. And Fernando Alonso winning the eighth race of the year at Valencia, a 2012 European Grand Prix, one of my favourite races. And he won in that. It, was, it wasn't a great Ferrari. It was, at times, fourth or fifth best car that season. And Alonso managed to maximise pretty much every single race he finished and it was absolutely incredible. I think for me, the best runner up performance uh, in F1 that I've seen, Fernando Alonso in 2012. So it went down to the wire. Alonso was trailing. He needed to outscore Vettel by, I'm not sure how many points, but by quite a few points. And like Vettel 15 started, points or something? Yeah, it was quite a big, big, mm. big margin. So Vettel started. Uh, from six or seven, he was on the left-hand side. He got blocked by Weber, his teammate, into turn one. And then down to turn four, gets hit by Bruno Senna, gets sent into a spin. Uh, Red Bull, uh, he carries on Red Bull, look from the pit wall how much damage he's got. He's got enough, uh, he, well, he doesn't have enough damage that he has to retire, so he carries on. And then he's actually faster in the, in the wetter conditions because it was a mixed race. And then he had Alonso taking advantage of the collision between Hulkenberg and Hamilton. That was Hamilton's last race for, for McLaren. And a chance for Hulkenberg to get on the podium, which he never got. And a few a few moments, Alonso was going to be champion. Uh, it wasn't quite the thrilling finale. I think Vettel probably had it wrapped up with 20 laps to go or so. But I think it, it, it was one of those where... I was really rooting for Alonso and, and Ferrari, and and it there was just that that kind of chance that it could happen, and then for it to slowly dwindle away, no matter what Alonso could do, was was it, it was sad. And I think Alonso staring after the race, that famous image. He actually said, I think he said this this year actually that he was actually looking at Massa. He wasn't he, he wasn't uh, thinking of something, and he and he was. Uh, Looking at looking at his teammate rather than just thinking of whatever <laughs> when he's staring uh, for a good five ten seconds. So I think that race, but more that season for me is my favourite ever season Red for F1 so far. Apart from maybe this year, this year gets gets quite close. Uh, yeah, I love it. I just wish it had a slightly different outcome because Alonso was an absolute beast that year. And Hamilton was very good too actually, but he had a lot of bad luck. Uh, but yeah, I, I do wish. Alonso won that 
Yeah, and I think you know when it, yeah, it's it's really tough on Alonso and and the other ones the 2010 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix where you know it's it just <laughs> didn't seem to go right for him in, in the whole of the the decade of the 2010s. It was so close and but so far for a lot of a lot of times and. Yeah, that it, a haunting image of of him just staring off you know, in space or at Massa or whoever after after the title fight is, I guess, the image that sums up Alonso's career in the minds of a lot of a lot of people and people like me who didn't, you know, who weren't watching in two thousand and five and two thousand and six when he won his championships. That's the kind of abiding memory of of watching F one, which it's it 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 was so tough on him and like you say, it didn't maybe have the drama of coming right at the end of, of the race like some other Brazilian Grand Prix but it's you know it's to have to have that whole setup and then for Vessel to go to the back and still have to fight his way through and then do it was you know it was is surprising that's not really what we expected going into the race and that's kind of why what we like about Tyson Scientists is it comes down to anything can happen over two hours I was well, conditioned no. to not be an Alonso fan I remember him in 2005 and 2006 um, winning. I was like, no, Michael needs to win as a little boy. That was my thought. My only thought was, no, Michael needs to win. I do not like this guy in the blue and yellow car. Get rid of him. I do not like him. And I really didn't like Alonso. Then 2007, do not like Alonso. Died on. I was like, oh, yeah, British driver and so on. Um, I like Vettel. Uh, and I think what... Obviously, but I think one thing about the 2012 season, obviously Alonso did fantastic. And at one point, he had a 40-point lead in the championship, I think, going out of the summer break. And I think what gets forgotten sometimes is the, just the magnificent run Vettel went on, sort of around Singapore, uh, India, all of that. Winning, 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 just to get himself back he into the, the fight. Car. He had the best car. Alonso and he did it. Every, every, yeah, but Alonso look at what Webber did. Too. Oh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying... Sorry, I'm not, not, saying we're, not, we're not debating about the 2012 season. Alonso I'm not saying Alonso didn't deserve it. I'm saying Vettel also deserved it, um, in my opinion. Um, and not sure. three races before that, Abu Dhabi was put to the back of the grid, managed to fight up to third. Like, Alonso's in second. Like, how the hell did you get here? Um, and again, went from the from the back into championship position. So in that race, yes, he had a very good car. I mean, in Brazil, to be fair, it was very damaged. So I'm surprised he managed to, um, it, it was a damage that was similar to, not as bad as Max and Hungary, but yeah, um, this year. But I think, yeah, Vettel did do a very good job that year, in my opinion, as well. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about okay. that. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, the, the, 2010 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix was close for me. If it had taken place in Brazil, it might have been higher up, although it would have been an entirely different race. Um, the drama having, was fantastic, but the race yeah, was having, shit. I mean, ha- yeah, that, that's the thing. Having four drivers going into the going into the final race with with the chance to win it is, you know, especially now looking back, is mind blowing. And you know, th- all the way through that season, it was just a very strange year, really, for F1. I, I don't know. It was kind of re rebirth and there wasn't Braun kind of weren't coming back as the champions and they were coming back as Mercedes and weren't really in the fight so it's kind of more open than it's been in terms of not having that set dominant team you know Red Bull with the with the team coming back then so and that really kind of opened up the Vettel era and the kind of uh, mystique of Vettel but I think maybe the race that the, the race that for me starts that in my mind is the 2008 Brazilian Grand Prix because it's you know it's it's the title decider. It's coming down to to the last corner of the last race of the season and kind of the last race of that era for a lot of you know the the way F1 had been going before Braun and Rebel kind of came through with the the diffuser era and then beyond that. So you know. And, kind of outside of the title fight, I think it was the spring ball for Vettel too, because it was his last race in the Toro Rosso and he came fourth and that that was kind of the, that was a sign, I guess, or a, you know, a premonition that it would, you know, this the next few years would would be his. But before that, there was just the, the most dramatic title fight you could ever, you could ever want. And I, the, the reason it's kind of, up there on that pedestal for me is because it's you know if Hollywood writers were, were writing 
you know, a, a movie script from a for a title fight finishing. That's what mm. they write, you know, and, and everyone would probably think it was too unrealistic. So the fact that it actually happened is just, you know, now looking back is, is a bit mind-blowing, really. And the, the narratives going into it, you had Hamilton nearly bottling it for the second year in a row. And, you know, that that would have changed the, the narrative of his career going forward. You had Massa, who just had a career year and a really fantastic year and probably deserved to be champion more than Hamilton and doing it in front of his home crowd and did everything that he could to win win the championship and did win it for a few seconds. And then, you know, obviously oh. came back down to earth and it's so sad looking back. And then his podium shots in the rain, it's just so much narrative going into it. And, so much drama and so much everything and that's kind of what you want really from from a, a, a championship fight and a championship decider and you know taking place in a fantastic setting and fantastic weather you had Hamilton kind of on the bubble um of fourth and fifth for most of the race and obviously then dropping out at the end so that's you know that was that and Brazil the previous year are kind of the two even now the two kind of biggest championship deciders kind of burned in my memory because it's the first two that I watched. I have to agree. I have to agree. It, 2008 Brazil was F1's uh, football fans of those. It's, it's a Sergio Aguero moment for F1. Yes. It's exactly that. Uh, so, uh, 90 it, plus four. It, it, it just doesn't get much better. It really doesn't. No. It's hard to win in a championship in stoppage time for Formula One, but it's the equivalent <laughs> of. Um, yeah. It's excellent, isn't it? It's mad. And the fact that it was only his second season in Formula One, I think that all adds to it. The fact that, um, like you say, the heartbreak of the year before, the fact that those are the conditions that he that um, he went off into the gravel in the pit lane in China that year after having some exceptional wet weather drives, Lewis. He, yeah, he just was mega. It was a mega, and it was fantastic. And the whole thing was just unbelievable. You don't know what's going on, and you think. I mean, yeah, watching it as a a Hamilton fan at the time, it's just like your heart sinking and then rising and sinking and rising and so on. And all of that for the whole thing. And it's excellent. It is excellent. And you're right about the the script writers stuff. Sorry, it's just like, yeah, that's the the equivalent of like, oh, I'll just go faster. You know, and drivers just be like, oh, I'll change up a gear and overtake him then. Push my foot down more. Oh, look, that worked. What a, what a, wow. But then it's like, Oh my God, this Formula One on the limit is excellent. And it's still the most viewed F1 race in the UK ever. It was the last race by ITV as well. So it moved mm. to the East in the year after. Won a BAFTA. And I, exactly. And I don't think, in terms of viewing figures, they'll be beaten with the way the media world at world is going. So, no. Yeah, I think that always has to be number one. Yeah, I think. Oh, oh, no. I, I think. The the fans as well. I mean, the the previous year they'd been kind of Hamilton fans when he was against Alonso, and that was kind of the the big rivalry going into the weekend. And because of his centre link, and then a year later, and they're absolutely heartbroken that he won the championship. And I just think the setting, you know, regardless of the race, just the setting for it is, you know, why I still think Brazil should be the the final race of the season because it is just such a fantastic race to be at and such a kind of fitting place to have championship decider and that's kind of what you know like you said or like we've all said the drama like that's kind of what you I mean for me anyway that's what I kind of love about sport the most is that it's stuff that you can't you can't write and make up because it'd be too cliche or too Mm. you know predictable if you know there's a big finale coming but you don't and it kind of encapsulates everything why I like sport Freddie what are you going to say I was just going to say an honourable mention from me would be 2016 as well um, just because the for drama, yeah, you've got um, Hamilton trying to back up Rosberg into Verstappen, into Mad Max as they called him then, into Vettel on fresh ultra softs coming fast and thick at the end to try and get get onto get even maybe the win. Um, then that was fantastic that race when you sort of halfway through the race and you realise, hang on a second, is he? No, he's not. He's not backing them up, is he? No. And then you hear that they show the team wall in Mercedes, like going, mm-hmm. and then you see, you see, you hear Paddy Lowe come on the radio saying, Lewis, you need to pick up the pace to win this race. And he goes, I'm actually in the lead right now, Paddy. I'm all right here. And it's just, that's something that, that was 
probably one of the title fights that I've sort of because I I, I I I didn't really mind who won out of Lewis and Nico that year that kind of thing. It was one of those I was consigned to both them winning. I'm fine with it. I thought they both deserved it. It was annoying. Um, like like this year, um, I want them both to win. Um, but it's just kind of like. <laughs> It just, it's just in great. I just sat there giggling for an entire F1 race. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, that, you know, it, in terms of, yeah, the race, again, wasn't wasn't fantastic in terms of racing action, but mm. it made up for it with those radio messages, which, like, please go go back, and they're all on YouTube, and go back and kind of watch them, because... I'll probably yeah, watch that tonight, actually. Yes. So <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's, like you say, the drama... The drama of it and then Rosberg won and retired and that's you know that was his his career and his crowning moment of his career and then he stepped away from the sport and came left on the biggest high that you can have and yeah it's yeah it that is but kind of 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 the hybrid era that's the kind of standout um one so yeah, yeah. that'll be so far isn't it yeah <laughs> yeah do you have any honorable mentions oh there's so many uh, but 2003, the finale wasn't good, but the end of the season again, like 2012, was absolutely incredible. Uh, I wish I was around then to kind of see it. Uh, uh, and then obviously the Senna and Prost incidents. Or the one, one, was one, were they both finales? Um, no, no, the, the first one was nine the penultimate race. Yeah, yeah penultimate rounds. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, I think any. any Decider like that. I think, I think, yeah, any time it goes down to the final race, it is special. It I mean, always happen, and it's only happened, you know, once in the last eight, nine years, hasn't it? So, yeah, yeah, 16, Yeah, that was double points. It would have been wrapped up in in Brazil, probably anyway. By that was a weird one. Remember that we points. had that very, very unfortunate run in 2006, seven, eight. 10, 12, where we had title signs, but then we haven't really had it uh, yeah. recently. So, you know, to get one this year would be, would be really, really good. It would be top, top everything off. This year just... is a bit like 2006 for me, because you have Hamilton doing the comeback. Now everyone seems to think Hamilton's a, a shoe-in for a few races ago. It's Max's title to lose. Now is it Lewis's title to lose? That was the case in 2006, where Alonso built up a lead and Schumacher was closing and closing and closing. Everyone thought, oh, Schumacher's going to do it. And he had the engine failure in Suzuka. And I was like, oh, can't do it then. Um, I think, yeah, the, that's what I see this year being like. The only other kind of honourable mention I'd give before we kind of move back on talking about this year is uh, 1976. And just the absolutely bong, a race that shouldn't have gone ahead. And then Lauda just stepping out of his car and deciding it wasn't worth it in kind of one of the most admirable decisions in F1 history, really. Um, so brief shout out to that, but returning back to the present day, yeah, I think, like you said, the parallels are there with those six. And I, you know, I, we, we've talked before about kind of what position we'd rather be in, but I think, yeah, it, it is really, it is really close as, you know, whether you want the faster car or the lead, and there is going to be, like you said, Nigel, if, if it does go down to the last race, which, you know, it really, really hope it it does, is just going to absolutely cap off the season. They could be going in on um, equal points if Hamilton wins with the fastest lap this weekend and how, and Verstappen finishes second. They'll be going in on equal points with Verstappen head-on wins. So, there's yeah, there's just, there is so much potential, even now going into the last two races at two not very good tracks, potentially, that it's going to be an absolute classic season ending and really should be unless you know one of them dnfs at or at saudi so I, yeah i'm so excited for for saudi which i didn't think i'd be saying when it was yeah. announced i wrote to ask one who's in the best position actually after we mentioned it last week and what i said was if hamilton execute and the series execute everything perfectly which probably won't happen but if they do then he will be champion if he because he's got the best car so he gets pole position converts it They'll get a good start, good strategy, all those things. Uh, he will become champion. So that is kind of where I went to, but I don't think everything will go to plan. And I think even this weekend, the one thing I really hope is that it isn't isn't an anticlimactic end yeah. to a season. Uh, but there's so many variables this weekend.
weekend with with it being uh, with it being a brand new track, and it's just going to be about those small things. Do what you can. Try not to crack under the, the pressure as hard as it is. Just execute everything you can, and then see what happens. That's what this can be about, as it has been all year. But with the pressure now, some some team or or, or, or some driver might find it too tough. It might make a small mistake here, here or there, and that's it. Uh, but both drivers have been outstanding, so I expect to see Verstappen and Hounds at the A, a game this week. Yes, I'm um, muted. I'm back. Hello. Um, I was agreeing with everything Nigel was saying. I, I, while he was speaking, I was going, mm, yes, mm, and no one heard it, clearly, because um, I was muted. But yes, I'm back, and I'm going to say I entirely agree. No, um, so Max and Lewis have been perfect all year, really. Well, well okay, all right. Let's, let's... <laughs> no, no, we're not going. Yeah, obviously, obviously there are times, but, you know, there's a general brush over. I mean, yeah. Maybe one of them made a shit job at Monaco. But anyway, um, for the rest of it, like they're so normal for them to be first and second, first and second, first and second. I can't see it any other way. And I just think it's just going to, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. don't know what's going to happen in anything. Uh, I'm just enjoying it. I think I'm going to enjoy Saudi. Every, every race kind of leading up to this, I've kind of been hoping that there's someone who can spring a surprise or someone who could, you know, in the field or Bottas and Perez can get involved and mix it up a bit. But at this stage, I just hope it's a kind of clean fight between the two protagonists. And that's, that's all there is. I, you know, it's, I mean, Norris winning a race would be cool, but like, I want, <laughs> you know, whatever, but I want, I just want, you know, those two to be really going at it together and no one really getting in the way because that's what it feels like this whole season has been leading up to and it's you know that Saudi will be interesting to see who gets on top of things quicker and you know who who the track favors look like a sperm so you know I don't know whether I don't know which <laughs> which team that favors but um yeah it's everything every minor decision made by the teams over the next two weekends and every decision made by the team staff and everything will have bearings on the championship and it's whoever gets the the majority of those decisions right will be the one that wins and yeah it's, it's bar eight points there is really nothing to to split the two and to have to have them potentially going into the last race on level on points would be exceptional but to to even get to this stage is fantastic and it, it we kind of or i've mentioned it a few times is this is the end of the turbo or the you know the kind of Mercedes era, I guess, of, of them being expected to win every season. And, you know, it's going to be the start of a new era next year with all the new regulations. And it's not, you know, it's bringing, like we spoke before about in narratives in so many championships, and this is really bringing the curtain down on this era. And it's who kind of has the final say of this era. And then, you know, in, in a month, it's all going to be over. And, you know, it's savouring it. While it's there, isn't as Nigel cries a tear, more tears than he cried for his laptop. That it's you know that's going to be the end of the the race. So yeah, no. two weeks, two weeks today. Got Tuesday. We'll have a Formula aye, One world champion. I'm going to be in Kansas City in a hotel for the Saudi Grand Prix, and then I'm not deliberately not going away on December the 12th because need to be. And it's at seven. It's at seven here, which we'll talk about more, but it's at seven in the morning here. One weird thing seven. about Saudi, it's at half past five yeah. UK time to race. So <laughs> it starts sure. at half past for some reason. I don't know if it's the first ever F1 race to start at a half past, um, but I don't really care. No, but we very much care about what happens this weekend. So we're all very excited for that. And we hope you are to enjoy watching the race and the whole weekend if you can catch the coverage so yeah have either of you got anything to add before we sign off oh i'm just ah. ready for just some crazy crazy final two weeks of f1 if the kind of mad sort of i don't know fever dream that the past triple header was spills over it in the same mentality into these next two weeks it's going to be something else 
that it will but for now we will sign off and thank you very much for listening and catch you again after the saudi grand prix where hopefully the two drivers will be still very close together maybe even tied on points but until then we will see you goodbye have a week bye Oh, they're still recording. <laughs>